So Luke chapter 16, we're going to start reading uh, verses 1 through 9. This will be from the ESV, and I apologize, I don't have the the U version this morning. Verse uh, 1, he said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were being brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in your account, turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to, excuse me, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write eighty. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. That's always the part that baffles me, right? For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with, in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. And if you were just looking at that on the surface, you would look at it and say, is Jesus telling us we ought, maybe we should be bribing people or, you know, what is he saying? Use unrighteous money so that you can make friends so that when you get to heaven, they're there. That math doesn't even add up, does it? Uh, Because if they're a bunch of uh, crooked, corrupt, uh, bribe-taking, dishonest people, if they greet you at the gate, where are you? That's bad, right? That's not, y'all are like, is he saying those people are going to hell? No, I'm not. But there's a chapter, a verse, and a book several times over that does, right? That if we are dishonest people, taking advantage of people, so he can't be saying that. So we kind of have to look at it and go, okay, if we know he wouldn't have said this, What's he saying? And there's a few different takes uh, that you can have on, on what is happening. And I'm going to give you four. These are the kind of the four main takes on what's happening. And I hope I can remember them all. Uh, one is that he is actually uh, setting the prices back to what they were before he dishonestly was skimming from the top. There's a sense of... It doesn't seem like he has this kind of a heart, so it might not be the right word. There's almost a sense of repentance to it because he's making it right again, like Zacchaeus did. The difference being, this guy is doing it to butter people up, where Zacchaeus did it to make things truly right. Okay, But the, he, he may be, the, these bills that he's doing is kind of like Zacchaeus would have done as a tax collector for the Romans, and done so legally on Zacchaeus' part. He's taking away the padding that he had built in. And you know, I'm sure this never happens in the world today, so you're sitting there going, well, nobody would ever do that. But there are people who actually add to their invoices and hope nobody ever notices. And uh, Mark, you probably see people like that in the medical field, right? Every now and then, uh, they do that. Uh, all kinds of people do this. I was... Uh, some of you have had to deal, this is where you probably see it, some of you have to deal with insurance companies. I was uh, listening to a, uh, a book by Malcolm Gladwell called Talking to Strangers. I think that's the right source. He was talking about how uh, something like 25% of uh, corporations knowingly, dishonestly send invoices to businesses, other businesses and organizations all the time. 
at least 25% of invoices flying around our country are not real. Okay, they've got this built-in padded thing. And so that may be what this guy is doing. Uh, it could be the other, the second take is that perhaps the master has been charging interest. I think this one is interesting. And I, I found this one through, um, I think it was Warren Wiersbe talks about this. That, uh, you know, under the Levitical law, Jews were not supposed to charge one another interest. They found loopholes, uh, but they're not supposed to charge each other interest on loans. And it's, it's actually the same thing now in Islam. They also find uh, loopholes. There are some Christians who believe that that would still be binding, but they've also found loopholes. So figure that one out. Humans find loopholes. That's the deal. And that they think that maybe this was also a possibility, that the master was charging interest. And so these unrighteous, dishonest stewards says, I know something about my boss that would get him in trouble. And rather than blackmailing his boss, he goes and secures himself a future with his boss's customers by saying, listen, I'm only going to charge you what you were rightfully, legally supposed to be charged so if yours was 100, it's now 80 because that's how much interest was being charged to this guy. And you say, well, but he's going to turn all of this into the boss. What about when the boss finds out that he's no longer getting the interest he was supposed to have? Well, Wiersbe's take is that's why the boss was impressed. The boss sits back and says, master sits back and says, wow, he's really got me in a catch 22. I'm impressed. It's like it's like a chess player admiring the guy who's just defeated him. Because, here's the Wearsby take on this, the second possibility, that this guy has knowingly reduced it back to zero interest because the interest was immoral and illegal under their law, and the master can do nothing about it. He's ingratiated himself to the customers, or to those who had loans, but the master can do nothing about it. Because if he goes to court and says, hey, not fair, this guy isn't giving me my interest. He got rid of all my interest. The judge is going to say, he got rid of your what now? Your, your what? Your interest? Your illegal interest? You're telling me? It would be like Al Capone suing somebody, going to a legal court to take care of someone who, who had lost too much money at the track. Capone never did that. He was far more efficient and, and evil than that. But that's what it would look like. So the guy looks at it and goes, I can't even sue for this. There's nothing I can do. I can't get any justice for this. Well played. You know, like a chess game. Uh, the third option is uh, that uh, he was receiving, the uh, dishonest steward was receiving a commission, and he is giving up his commission in the short term for the possibility of a job in the long term. That's another possibility. And the fourth one is really, really probably the one that it is. I don't remember it. It's on my notes at home. So there were three different ways in which this... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. The other one is that he's just, do, he's just taking a risk in doing this, lowering the bills. Uh, we don't really have a reason why. I don't need to know why. He's just doing it just simply to ingratiate himself. He's just giving them a discount. That's a possibility. I kind of tend to think it's probably one of the more dishonest, the interest type thing, or uh, some, some that he was skimming off the top. It just fits more with the parable, uh, with what he's going on, and with what they would have understood about the way business was often done in uh, first century Roman Empire. So that would have all made sense. So as, with all of that said, why does Jesus want us to be like this guy? You know he's not telling you to be dishonest. You know he's not t telling you to steal from the master on your way out. Isn't it really sad that now we have to have uh, security take people out from jobs whenever people are fired? 
And this has been true for, for probably 20 years now, that most corporations have to escort you out of the building the second they tell you, you know, you already know what's coming when they call you into the office because you already see the security guy standing outside the office. It's sad. But you know why they have to do that? Because so many people steal on their way out. Then you have disgruntled people as well who do other things on their way out. But theft is a huge problem. And uh, so it's sad that's what we have to do. This, this guy was given time with the books. And so he, 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 he works the system a little. And you know that's not what Jesus is telling us to do. Okay, That we understand. So what does he want us to understand? He goes on and he says, you know, people in the world seem to have a little bit more shrewdness, is the word that's used in most of these translations, a bit more shrewdness about how to deal with, with their money, their opportunities and those things, even when they are dishonest, awful employees that aren't even worth keeping around. Sometimes they have better ideas about landing on their feet than you do. Do you think he's right? I know that's a trick question, it's Jesus, but you know, just forget that for a second. Do you think that he's right, that we are too naive in the way that we handle our futures a lot of the time? Does that show in, in just the situation of any given church and community and individual's life within the church that sometimes we just aren't thinking ahead enough? Because that's what he gets to. Every good and perfect gift, James says in chapter 1, is from above. From our God, the Father of the heavenly lights. Every good and perfect gift. Everything we have is in a very real way a stewardship. Not just our money. Okay, We're not just talking about that. Everything we have. Our home. Our family is a stewardship. When God gives you children to raise, He is saying, I am entrusting this soul to you. And they are a stewardship. Our, our world is a stewardship. Uh, a lot of times in more conservative circles nowadays, people don't even like somebody bringing that up. Oh, he's going to say our world is... Oh, here come the greenies. You know, there was a time when we understood it wasn't that long ago that being stewards of God's creation was neither conservative nor liberal. It wasn't anything to do with the world. It was due to the fact that when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, He made them responsible stewards for His creation and said, it's going to be that way until I come back. Take care. And so we understood that. And Christians were very uh, thoughtful, conscientious stewards of the resources that were given. We didn't say, well, the world is going to burn, so let's just use all the gas in the, in the next ten years. You know, not, we didn't do stupid stuff like that. Because we understood we are stewards and we need to use things wisely. And there are people who come after us. Now, a lot of times, we kind of act like, well, if it's all going to burn and if the Lord is going to destroy the world when Jesus comes back, then what does any of it matter? I'm going to get out of it what I can get out of it because Jesus would propose a sort of Christian selfishness? That would make sense? That doesn't make any sense, does it? We're stewards of the creation. We are stewards. Uh, any good farmer or rancher, we were talking about this the other day in class, in the men's class. In, in, no, maybe it was last Sunday morning. Actually, I think it was last Sunday morning. Um, that any good rancher takes care of, yes, we were, takes care of his livestock. Why? They're stewards. Any good homeover takes home, care of the home. Why? Because God has given you that as a stewardship, not just to be your shelter, but so that you may shelter others when they need it as well, that it can be a part of your ministry in this world. Everything we have, everything we are, He has given this way. The gifts that you have are meant not just for you. They are meant for other people within the body of Christ who need. If you have the gift of encouragement, there's a lot of people in this room. They need your gift. 
So all those things, we're stewards of them. And Jesus says, you know, sometimes the world has a better understanding of the use of those things and the way to secure a future than even some of the brothers and sisters. Sometimes we're too short-sighted. We're too naive. And we, we just think, oh, well, we can get a, a, a holy... I don't know the right word for it. A holy laziness about us. Selfishness about us. Ah, the world's going to go. I'm just going to enjoy it until the Lord comes again. It was never His intention. You know, we pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that prayer is that God will help us to be good stewards of what He has given us here so that the kingdom grows and the kingdom expands so that people who are hungry will be fed, clothed, will be cl- naked will be clothed, have no shelter, will have shelter. Everything we are is so that we can serve one another and glorify God in this world. It was never meant to be just all about us. And Christianity is never supposed to be a way to just make it all about us and also feel saved by it. That would be wrong, right? So, let's shift gears for a second. There's another way to look at this as well. Everyone who has their, who is living, everyone who has breath, is either spending or investing. If you're spending, you're just letting it slip out of your pocket, right? And that's whether we're talking money, days, time, energy, whatever. It's just going out, out, out all the time. You ever have those weeks? I do. You have those weeks where you just are kind of like, can I just take a day off from spending? Because this is getting awful expensive. If you if you got anybody in your family in the hospital, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you have children, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it just it's just constant. You know, I love to travel, but one of the things that I'm always glad for when I get back home and I'm done traveling is I put my wallet on the dresser and I hope it sticks. You know, because you just kind of you're you're paying for food and you're paying for a hotel and you're paying for gas and then you're and everything like that, right? And so you just want it to stop. Then something breaks. You come home and the toaster isn't working anymore. And that may not be the most important thing, but this is, I'm actually describing a day that happened. The toaster breaks. You go out and you come home and the van won't start. And the dryer's broken. And, 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 and. And to, to us, what are you, what are you seeing as all those things stop working? Cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. I'm actually afraid to talk about it. I don't really, I'm really uncomfortable right now. Really uncomfortable because I'm taking one car to the shop tomorrow and I really want my dryer to live. So, you know, the <laughs> well, at least the grass is growing over that, over that sewer system I had to put in this last year. My goodness, that, that grass ought to look like golf course grass for what we paid for it. You know, all that stuff, you just you get stressed and you're tired because that's just spending, right? But it should be what? Investment. I consider sewer system an investment. And apparently it's working because the grass looks well fertilized right now in this weird weather we're having. But you, you, you want to do more than spend. What about your energy and your time? We all know what it's like, I think. Probably everybody here, if not now, at some point in your life, you have known what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck, and some of you are doing it right now, where every single penny of every single check has to be guarded over, and you get tired of doing that, right? Every now and then you get so tired of it, you think, I'm just not going to care. And then what happens? Oh, I just heard the, I just heard the lady from, from that song on YouTube, Ain't Nobody Got Time For That. I don't know why. Oh, Lord, Jesus is afar. That's what happens. You get a bill and you go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And now you're stressed and can't sleep either. And by the end of the week, you are spent. Not just your money. You are spent. Because you have given and given and given and people have taken and taken and taken and you feel like you don't have anything for anybody else to take anymore. And it's easy in that time to get into a survival mode. We all know what survival mode is like. 
You go into survival mode and it's stressful and you never feel like you're ever going to get out of it. Now, we've all been in it and we've all been out of it, so we should remember that, yes, God gets us out of these things. But in the middle of it, we get stressed and we get spent. And I think part of what Jesus is trying to get these Israelites to know at the time, you are being short-sighted and you are spending yourselves for things that don't matter. You're chasing after things that don't last. You need to stop and think. But what about my future? Because there'll come a day when your master is going to require an accounting. And you're going to sit down and look at your books while you're waiting in line, right? You're going to look at your books and go, ooh, where did it all go? We spin it, right? How many of us have been there? We just spin it and it's gone. He says you need to plan ahead. He's not saying that the way this guy handled it was right. He's saying at least he had some thought in it and was preparing for his future and was looking for any angle possible to make sure that he was going to land on his feet. You feel like you're going to land on your feet if Jesus were... I don't mean this in the cheesy way. I'm being serious. If Jesus were to call us home Thursday, would you land at the gates on your feet? Would you be ready? Would you, would you feel like, okay... I think I spent my life in a way that honored God, in a way that built people up, in a way that made a difference. That's the question we need to ask ourselves, but not when we get there, and not when we're waiting in line, sweating over our books, but every morning when we get up. And that's the difference between spending and investing. Spending looks only at the present and the past. Investing says there is a future that matters. There there are disciplines that are worth taking and, and decisions worth making that will make it better and brighter. I like this quote from Francis Chan, and it's so funny because a friend of mine even posted this this morning uh, after I put all this together. Our greatest fear, Francis Chan says, and for, let me tell you, the book, Crazy Love, is excellent, and it goes along these lines, helping you sort out what really matters in light of eternity. I would highly suggest that one. Sometimes you can even pick it up as an ebook for free. Every now and then he just throws his book out there, uh, books out there for free or for 99 cents as an ebook. But he says this Our greatest fear should not be failure. How many of you are afraid of failure? I am. I would think that's pretty normal. Our greatest fear should not be failure. Our greatest fear should be succeeding in things in life that don't matter. That you, as Stephen Covey would put it, you get to the top of your ladder and you look around and you're not even on the right wall. You're successful at all the wrong things. And none of it matters. And none of it helped. How many people in this world can read that statement and look at pictures of their own children and say, I think I know where he's coming from. Because I have and I have and I have. But where are my kids? I made and I made and I made. And I've got trophies and I've got accolades and I've got plaques and I've got a 401k. But I've gained the whole world and I've lost my soul. Jesus says, brothers and sisters, you need to think more about your future. The world plans for its future. You've got an even greater, longer-term future ahead of you and you're whittling the days away. And they're going to be gone before you know it. And your money could even be gone before you know it. You could ask George Pepperdine about that when you get to heaven. George Pepperdine, founded Western Auto, started when he was 20-something, way, way, way back. Started as a catalog store. It had a different name back then. But he started Western Auto. I think all those were bought out by AutoZone, wasn't it? Uh, But... But George Pepperdine had uh, retired way back in the 30s, pretty much he had retired. And uh, that's, that's how successful he was. And bought some land in, in Malibu for, you know what he bought the Malibu campus land for? $150,000. Man, you talk about a return on investment. 
I'm thinking that land is probably almost, if you can be priceless, that's almost priceless land. Just absolutely incredible. He donated it to start a college. He wanted to start a university because, one, he really believed in education. He was the first one in his family to have an education. They had invested in him, and he wanted to invest in the next generation. But he didn't want to be short-sighted and only invest in his kids. He wanted to, to do bigger. And so he, he raised, funds from selling, raised funds from selling some of his stocks. He raised funds from others and started the Pepperdine University with the goal that it would be a university where you got a world-class education and where you came into contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, they've gone in their ups and downs, and there have been times where uh, you might could have gone to college there and maybe you didn't even know it was a Christian university. I wonder sometimes, uh, some years back. They're actually on kind of a revival right now in terms of their focus. I don't know, in my lifetime, I've seen Pepperdine more focused on sharing the gospel with people who are there. They never want to be pushy. Pepperdine said, we're never going to shove it down your throat. He said, but we want to make sure that you make an informed decision about your eternal future. And so that's, that was his vision for that university. You know what else he did? He spent himself away. Part of his money was lost through some bad investments and some bad advice. That can happen, can it? I think that's why Jesus says you need to be ready. Because everything you have that's physical could be gone, and you're going to need to rely on how well connected you are to God and to your brothers and sisters in Christ. George Pepperdine did that. He lost some money, but he also gave away tremendous amounts of money. Pepperdine, the Boy Scouts, YM, he built YMCAs up and down the California coast, uh, boys and girls, or back then just boys' clubs, now boys' and girls' clubs. He did all those things. He wanted his legacy and his inheritance to be invested before he was gone. At the, toward the end of his life, he was living with another Christian family. A man who had owned mansions, traveled the world, donated a university, was in a borrowed bedroom at the end of his life. Now here's the difference. He didn't regret it. He didn't regret it. He was quoted as saying, I have everything that I need. And he prayed instead for the future of the church and the kingdom of God. Jesus says, the world thinks about its future, but sometimes we're only thinking about today. Why don't we take everything God's given us? Money, yeah, He does say money, but also your time, your energy, your focus, your passion, and invest that into a future. One of the topics at this workshop this weekend was all about what are we going to do about all of our uh, young kids, teenagers. And, and, you know, they've been quoting the same statistics my entire life. And that always, the longer a statistic is quoted, the less I trust it, to be honest. <laughs> you know, you, people just start making things up. My favorite statistic is 75% of all statistics are made up on the spot. That's my favorite. And it's also the one I've known the longest. Uh, and so I'm always a little bit skeptical. But I think we know anecdotally, if it's not the right number, it's close. Then anywhere from 50 to, uh, you'll hear 80, 80 is high. I know 80 is high by some research that uh, Ed Stetzer did for Lifeway. But at 50 to somewhere in the 70s uh, of our young teens will not remain connected to a church. Now, I can tell you a lot of the reasons go back to some of this stuff. Not just, and not just parents, although part of it is what they were rooted in before they got out on their own. There's no doubt about that. You can't have roots if you've never sown seed, it doesn't happen. Uh, but some of it is that they too, just like the rest of us, become very short-sighted and live for the moment and get lost along the way. Okay? But a lot of the, the talk this week was about what are we going to do about them? What are we going to do about them? 
I don't have all the answers. I'm going to tell you to go home and pray. And not just pray for them, but to pray for yourself that you can, dis- can see, that you can be led by the Spirit on how are you going to fulfill this for your kids and grandkids in the next generation. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And yet that's most of what we chase about, even in the church, right? This is most of our time, if we're honest. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let God change your heart. If you want to see the future change, Look in the mirror and say, God, I want to change. That's what repentance is really all about. It's not just sorrow for sins. It's rejoicing that there's a future better than you thought there was going to be. And you're ready to embrace it. If you're ready to embrace that this morning, or if you need us to pray with you, we will do that. You can come down here as we stand saying, or you can go to the back and one of our elders will meet you. But we will pray with you. We will pray for you. And we ask this one thing, that you pray for us as well. Pray for your, your leaders in the church that we are not just spending but investing in the future of the kingdom of God and that future that is also yours and your children's and your grandchildren's, that the kingdom will be strong in generations to come. Let's stand and sing.